Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Steve Scott and Colin Sheehan in the house. What is going on, Colin? Steve, great to talk to you, buddy. Uh, all good here in New Haven. Um, getting ready for the spring season. Um, my fine, you know, got a got one last banner to hang. Fifteenth uh, <laughs> and final year, uh, and it's time at the end of May. It's time for somebody else to have the greatest job college golf so yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that was a that was a big announcement uh since our last podcast congratulations are in order i'm sure you've got lots of great things brewing that uh, we will soon learn about and find out about that's uh very cool stuff this is episode number 64 though and uh it's it's a big week in the world of golf uh tiger woods is coming back playing a non-major for the first time at uh, the genesis invitational at riviera um, and I was just thinking the significance of this week, we've got a, we got the big live event, maybe not to go there, but I'll go there. Right. We'll just jump out. It's a new year. Let's just change mm-hmm. topics. Right. So, so Tiger playing Riviera this week, and I'm thinking about how it's, you know, this is the, the live tours first week as well. Coincidence. Well, they're trolling. They're trolling <laughs> the tour, aren't they? You know, I mean, they have to eventually have, they're going to compete, right. They're going to have to have conflicts. It can't be the XFL and the, there's no alternate season, but uh, I mean, Steve, it's almost like Tiger willed himself to the event in order to just drag the tour, in, you know, to the to the center stage. Uh, I'm a, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I think Riviera is quite possibly underrated, and uh, I've always been an LA Open fan going back to when Freddie was wearing, you know, Ashworth vests in the early '90s and. He's, he's doing... wearing Ashworth again now, actually, if you believe <laughs> it. What, what's old and new again? But anyway, I do digress. No, no. I think, like, it's a shame that that the short is a very short list of architecturally significant courses that are PGA Tour staples. and and But Riviera stands out, you know, head and shoulders above just about anything. That's a regular annual event. And, you know, I've always loved I've always loved this course. I've loved the coverage. Uh, I'm, I'm a, and you know, I find it fascinating that Tiger Woods was given that exemption when he was 16, the very age of kids that I'm recruiting, and the greatest statistical, you know, anomaly or aberration in in all of golf is that Tiger Woods played in this event 15 times or however many in his prime, a shot maker's course, a course that should reward ostensibly the greatest player of his generation. And he never, he never won. How did that happen? Yeah, the, I, the, I, the greens just totally give him fits. I think he just he's kind of he, he loves those smooth, fast greens. His stroke is very, very smooth and languid. He's uh, you kind of need those the, a bit of a pop stroke out closer to uh, no pun intended with the uh, you know the the putting courses that he's designing and all that. But uh, but yeah, you, you kind of need that short kind of quick pop stroke out there on the on the poana greens they it can get a little a little bumpier at times and and it seems like those type of players have putted better mostly out there so uh 
But you never know. I'm, I've been watching some swings of Tiger this week, and his body looks like it's moving as well as it's moved. Um, it's just a matter of how he can walk and how he can navigate the golf course. I guess, you know, the, the main walks are really off the first tee, straight down. And then after the 18th green is, you know, when they start on the back nine, he'll, he'll have to make that trek up from 18 green up the hill to the first tee. But, um, you know, other than that, the golf course is, is pretty walkable out there, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, it's an architectural marvel. It has basically the closest thing, the 12, maybe the, maybe the par three, the first par three on the back is the closest thing to a, to, to, to a regular hole, but otherwise, Every hole is architectural greatness. Everyone loves the the attention that this 10th hole brings for strategy on a short par four and what's capable of sort of of, of width and angles. And and the 18th green with its amphitheater is underrated. And that's the original uh, stadium course right there. Honestly, isn't that <laughs> isn't that beautiful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Kikuya rough uh, on the hillsides there gives the players some some issues, but that, that 10th hole, I put a little, a little thing out on uh, Twitter the other day and, you know, asking folks is 10, a great short par four. And, you know, you look last week and, you know, the 17th hole that Tom Weisskopf designed at the TPC Scottsdale, you know, you have the ability to hit that green off the tee. I don't know if players really have much of an ability to hit that green or maybe the very front left of it, or, but th- there's not many greens hit it off the tee with drivers or three woods or whatever because of the way that ribbon like green sits. Well, you're right. You can only you can only get to the front of the front left of the green. However, I would say this about it. I agree that it's not actually drivable. It's 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 drive nearable. Drive nearable. But <laughs> um, one of my favorite elements in golf design, like the 14th hole at Yale and, and countless others is where you get um, the degree of difficulty of the second shot increases the closer you get to the green. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea that you can be just reckless and hit driver and hit it way up the fairway to the right and have the worst short-sided tight mo, tight lie angle to the to some pin over the, over the crest of the bunker with a downslope. And like you, you know, only you know, you've sort of, you've, you've, you've given yourself the rope to hang yourself. Right. I mean, you just like, at that point, you know, you, you know, like long before all the data about strokes gained and, and, and Scott Fawcett, you just, there were certain holes when you played them and you're like, Oh, you're like, God damn, this just, I'm, I'm 80 yards and I would sign for a four right now, (laughs) you know? And that's what that's what I love about the great holes. Like you're like I'm close, and I'm as I'm. I'd rather be 150 yards from the pin over on that other side of the fairway and have and take my chances with the nine iron than I would this little like, three quarter, uh, you know, wedge that's got no chance. <laughs> so anyway, I love I love diminishing returns, and I love I love uh, teachable moments in in. In, in selection. I, I love, a, I love certain holes where it's like in real time, you're like, this was a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there, there can be a few of those out there. No question, but the great architects, it's amazing how, and, and we, we visit a lot of these during our silver club schedule during the year. I mean, 
we play Seth Rainers, we play A.W. Tillinghast. I mean, the their strategy components are, you know, even to the, obviously the modern, the modern guys are amazing too. I mean, Corin Crenshaw and even a Pete Dye, I know he's maybe, you know, uh, you know, you think of like TPC Sawgrass and all the, the serpentine fairways and just, you know, you place it on the right, you got to hit a draw off the tee and then you got to hit a fade to the green or, or whatever. They, these great architects make you play great strategy and they make you hit great shots when you got to hit them. And, uh, uh, that's that's I would been, say that you, pretty cool you're right Steve and I, I would say Steve that the the benefit that the old guys had the, the old dead guys is that the clientele didn't hit it as far didn't hit it as high the fairway irrigation wasn't they played it on the ground as, more too the wasn't as lush so <laughs> can you imagine if you're in your mind your design mind was such that you were like all right People don't hit it 300. They only hit it 255. They hit it low. The ball is bouncing. You're you're almost you benefit from the idea of those of, of that. I, I couldn't. In, in some ways, golf architecture has been compromised by the by the idea that the ball flies 300 and the, the next shot flies 270. You know, the wedge stops on a dime. Like, come on. And I need. I, I want people to. You know. Riviera makes you realize you're like, oh yeah, like, like you are out of position from the fairway, from <laughs> the right side of two, right? You know, I love, yeah, I yep. do love it. Yeah, God, yeah. it's there, good. A lot of great golf courses in LA. We were actually just out in LA a couple of weeks ago for uh, our first event of the calendar year on the Silver Club schedule. We played uh, well, one of the courses I can't quite name. We got, we got, we got to play behind uh, Justin Timberlake. Um, and, but the other, the other course is Wilshire country club and, nice. um, Wilshire was, was very cool. Despite how much rain they've had out there in the California coast, uh, Wilshire was, was very, very cool. We had a nice group of guys out there. We had a, uh, we, we, we ate at a really cool restaurant on Santa Monica Boulevard called Delilah, uh, where some, nice. some celebs hang and, uh, anyway, you can't you know, there's no phones you can't, none of that stuff. You can't, uh, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those secret little handshake places it seems like, but, uh, anyway, golf in LA, you know, and then you look forward after this week, there's, you know, we've got the U S open in June and we'll, we'll talk obviously a few times before then, but you know, golf in LA is, uh, is at the forefront right now, isn't it? Steve, it's unfair. Like everyone says, oh, LA, the fans don't show up till the third quarter. Well, maybe you wouldn't do that if you had 52 weeks of the year <laughs> with a golf season. Can you imagine that, you know, my, my a dear friend of mine from Yale moved from uh, LA to Greenwich because his, he got married, they had a kid, he wanted to be near his, his wife's family, the in laws. And he goes, Colin, he goes, I'm, you know, from Baltimore. I used to be a member at L- I'm an LA- LACC and RIV member. I've, I moved back east, and your courses are open half the year. They're punched for two months of the year. It's it goes from extremely cold to extremely hot to, yeah. to golf again. Like you, you have no golf season. I was like, uh, actually, you're right. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine, imagine the middle of the golf season, the the sweet spot of the spring and fall year round that's okay. unfortunate that's california there's a reason yeah. why they pay 62 percent, you know taxes all because <laughs> yeah. it's because you just because it's worth it yeah and they, <laughs> and they and it takes them uh you know two hours to drive you know four miles or something too but 
Yeah, it's uh, George it's all- Thomas. George Thomas. It's- George Thomas was an was was a genius, and he and his his legacy of, of product that he left behind is such that I I think it's it's nearly impossible. It's it's a, well, it's a matter of opinion. Uh, LACC North, Riviera, and Bel Air. Which one would you? You know, there's three different answers. Which one do you would you play all the, the? If you could only play one, which one would you be a member? And what's your favorite? Mm-hmm. And there's actually kind of like potentially three different answers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'd love to be. I think Riviera is the most architecturally significant. I think I would be a Riviera member. And but so, you know, and yet LACC is like, I. It takes you on a. It, it, it follows terrain and takes you on a journey and it's, it's sensational. Yeah. So they're lucky out there. They don't do of all, of all the people to get a huge break. The golfers of LA, this, you know, enormous break is quite, they're quite for, they're quite lucky. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, uh, anything else before we get to our great podcast with Ben Silverman and, no, talking about Aaron cool. Rodgers and winning the AT&T Pro-Am and, and winning on the Corn Ferry Tour recently. and It's very cool. I, I, I love the story. You know, in the end, uh, Liv has – Liv is a distraction. And, I'm, you know, and I can't, I can't blame them for their own effort, whatever it is they're doing, but – Ben, on the other hand, the story of the grind, the story of the player in the perpetual state of improvement, trying to claw their way up to the tour to get there and then to get there to stay on the claw their way to stay on the tour. And then they make it to the final stage of the FedEx or, you know, that's that's the real story of golf. It's not it's not the big payout and then a bunch of. And then a lifetime of of uh, exhibition matches, you know. So <laughs> yeah, no doubt. There's 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 way more Ben Silvermans out there than there are Rory McIlroy. So uh, you know, really yeah. excited to bring this podcast to you, and uh, let's uh, let's have a great a great golf season. And you know, let's talk. We'll talk before Augusta. We've got to. We'll have absolutely. Got to get a good. We got a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. We do. But uh, thanks so much, Colin. And thanks, Steve. Great fun to chat, Colin. But before we get to this podcast with Ben, I just wanted to tell you real quick about what's going on at the Silver Club. We just had our first event, and we have the whole entire schedule right ahead of us. So if you want to get on board and be a part of something really fun, we've got members in 35 states, and we're growing this thing into our fifth season. We have so many great venues, architecturally significant venues, major championship venues, venues that are just cool and fun to play. So if you like to travel a little bit and compete and meet other people who like to do the same thing, reach out to us at silverclubgs.com. Fill out the quick web form. I will personally get back to you. I've talked to so many people throughout our five plus years in existence, and it's been so much fun building this society up and getting to watch you hit shots that matter. That's the most important thing. If you're on social media, check us out at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter, and we're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast and downloading and subscribing all of our previous 63 episodes. 
We want to bring you everybody who's involved and integrated with the fabric of our great game that we all love. All right, here's episode 64, right on your doorstep with Ben Silverman. You got to be on cloud nine though, right now, um, with you know all the things that you've done in the last few weeks from winning in the Bahamas as a sponsor exemption, the first to do so on the Corn Ferry Tour since since uh, Martin Trainer 2018. Um, so that's pretty rarefied air right there. And then going out to Pebble Beach, and then you were just at Bogota, and so much to talk about. But uh, but how how are you? you got to be racking up the freaking flyer miles pretty good. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm getting better. I was a little tired. Uh, I'm feeling good today, but it's the like the high of of the win has kind of worn off by now. In terms of like, you know, the fresh adrenaline and constantly just smiling, perma smile on my face all day. But it's oh, obviously I'm pumped. You know, it's you know how hard I've been working on years. I've been trying to get back on. Top. And so, even though this is my second year, second win on Corn Ferry Tour, I felt like my first. It's been a while since I won, and this one feels like I was ready to win, and I knew what I was doing. You know, the first time I won, I kind of just, I felt like it just happened, and I wasn't mentally prepared for it, but, you know, this one definitely feels a little different. Well, for those listeners out there, who don't know about you. You're 35 years old. You're from Canada. What, just outside of Toronto, right? Yeah, just north of Toronto. Just north of Toronto. And you went to a college, though. Just to jump back a little bit, just to give our listeners a little background on you. You went to a culinary college your first couple years of college. Uh, what? Why did you do that? And then you worked into a into Florida Atlantic University, but you spent, you obviously moved out of Toronto and got down to South Florida where you could play a little more golf, I guess. Right. I mean, that was it. I had, I had no junior career basically as a golfer. So nobody was looking at me in terms of scholarships or any good golf programs. So I had to find what I could in a warm weather state to play year round. You know, Toronto's seven month season. I just needed to go somewhere to play year round and, I had made it in my mind that PJ Tour was going to be uh, where I was going to get to eventually. And so then it was working backwards from there. What do I need to do? And the first step was go somewhere warmer where I could play year round and try to catch up, make up some time. And so, it, I mean, long story short, it was through a friend in high school that pointed that school out to me. He was going there. They were taking a ton of, uh, guys on the team i still had to go and try out had to commit to the school and go and try out but i did my recon work did my recon work and saw the scores and knew i'd be able to make the team no problem so i stressed out about that and then worked at it and slowly got better until i made a a starter in my second year yeah look I, i think i think your your story is such a uh it it's a story that's not really promoted or or you know golf is such a long race right and and everybody there's so many parents out there that want their kids to specialize at such a young age now uh it's 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 almost it kind of robs their childhood in a way and for you it was just this this progression upwards and you know you're you're 35 now 
Um, and, you know, you, we, we see the, you know, the Scotty Schefflers and the Victor Hovlins of the world. They jump out right from college and they come out and win on tour. But this, this is a long race, isn't it? I mean, this, this professional golf thing. For me, it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for, for, a lot of, I well, guess, for a lot of people, I think it, it uh, yeah, sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess like you get what three guys a year that that are able to jump out and get their status right away maybe two and the media grabs hold of it and makes it seem like it's so easy and then you probably get the other 97 percent of players that have to battle multiple times in q school multiple years on developmental tours corn ferry tour like a guy like uh, scotty harrington who was on corn ferry tour for like eight straight years and couldn't right. break through you get stories like that. Um, but then recently, just reflecting on on my story, and I've heard some other great stories from other athletes like uh, Kurt Warner and the movie that came out about him, American Underdog, about how he um, didn't get any off after college and mm-hmm. you know, had to go work at a grocery store and all that stuff. That story was pretty incredible. And then you get Tom Brady, who's what, six, sixth-round draft pick, seventh-round <laughs> draft pick, okay, ends up being he? like – one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. And then recently, I, um, I didn't know Aaron Rodgers didn't get any like big D1 scholarship out of high school. And he had to battle his way in um, after high school to eventually you know, make himself more well-known in college. So it's like, in, in a way, you develop a different type of character, different type of athlete when you have to go through that adversity if you, come, if you can come through the other side. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I just for... sorry. I was just gonna say I never wanted to do anything else, so I just kept going. That was the only thing I wanted to do. <laughs> well, you're you're doing it really well. Um, and I, I want to we'll we'll get to your win in the Bahamas in a moment. But you just mentioned a guy, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you got hooked up with him uh, in uh, in Phoenix about a year ago at the Phoenix Open, and you end up just paired with him at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am recently. And lo and behold, you guys won the thing. Uh, tell us about how that, that friendship kind of came about, how the, the, uh, the partnership came about at the AT&T, and then, and then you know, give us a few stories about you know, the week, because we all want to know. <laughs> so it started when I wanted Monday into the waste management. I didn't even know that there was like a celebrity pro-am on a Wednesday of that week. I guess it happens every year. And yeah, this was back it in, was 20, about, in 22, right? Uh, February is February 22. So it's yep. been, uh, yeah, about a year. You might have qualified and, into the waste management, by the way. That's no small feat in yeah. itself. That's like an almost impossible feat in itself. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, right. sorry, I, uh, one of three, I was low. Yeah. One of three spotter. Yeah, normally they're four. Right. So I won a three spotter. Which is pretty sweet. And so anyways, I'm riding high and I'm walking to the driving range on Wednesday and I, you know, it was around the time where he had taken a lot of crap for his stance and viewpoint on COVID in the NFL. And I was very appreciative of, of his viewpoints and wanted to just thank him for, for, you know, being honest and, and standing up for what he believed in. And so 
I waited, saw him coming off the green, introduced myself. We chatted a little bit. He actually knew who I was uh, just because he's a golf nut. He follows golf that much. And so he knew a little bit about my career and story. And, and we just walked. I was going to the range, turned around and walked with him to the clubhouse because that's where he was going. I was like, all right, I'll follow you. <laughs> and we just walked in and chatted for like five or ten minutes and got along great. And so we kept in touch little bit here and there like you know dms on instagram over over the course of a year and i didn't realize this at the time but he was following very closely in the bahamas and he's friends with steve scott who or sorry you're steve scott he's friends <laughs> with steve john who's the uh tournament director at at&t and so he's they're texting back and forth like, are you seeing what's going on with Ben right now? And I had written some invite request letters to Steve John. And so he's like, yes, we're keeping a close eye on it. And when I ended up winning, Aaron was trying to get me, you know, to be his partner, get into the tournament. Steve John had sent me a message that night, but I didn't get it right away because I didn't have any service in Bahamas. <laughs> and so it wasn't until the next morning. At uh, at the airport in Bahamas, eleven o'clock in the morning, I'm FaceTiming Steve John, and he's telling me that they're trying to get me a sponsor exemption. And Aaron's like, "We're totally going to play together," and it was all just like happening super fast. So, but it was awesome. Wow, wow, how cool is that? What a uh, what a and tell us tell us about the week. Tell us about who you played with uh, outside of obviously being partners with Aaron, and then ultimately holding up the trophy. I mean, I mean, you had to have some cool practice rounds or did you slide over to Cypress point or like, what'd you do? So yeah, Cypress, I'm, I'm not quite high, high enough up on the totem pole to get an invite there. I don't know oh, anybody. Oh, 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 hardly. hardly. <laughs> he did. Aaron went out and played Cypress, oh. but, uh, we played nine holes together Wednesday morning at Pebble, mm-hmm. uh, with a couple other guys, Marty Doe and, and, uh, I think it was Trevor Werblow and it was, it was a nice, Played a little nine holes. We jumped around. We played like one through eight real quick and then jumped over to 14 and played. So we played more than nine holes, but that was fun. Um, and Darius Rucker was our other celebrity for the, the tournament, and he was awesome. He was – love listening to his stuff, and he was super cool. So had some good convos with him. And I mean, Aaron and I talked no football the whole time. It was just golf. Like, he is a golf nut. Like, all he does – in his spare time is, I mean, not all he does, <laughs> but like the amount of time that you would check leaderboards and follow stories and trending things of what's going on on the PJ tour and corporate tour. He checks it too. So, I mean, we're, we're riding down to do our interview after we won and he's checking the scores in Bahamas to see who's winning the corn Ferry event there, wow, which yeah. was, it was pretty cool. But, um, it was just an awesome week. We were hanging out like two pro athletes. Like we were buddies, like we've known each other. And his caddy was awesome too. A, a good friend of his for, from like 25 years. And it was just a, you know, one of those pairings that's easy. Everybody gets along great, having a great time. We're high five and making birdies, ham and egg. And like, it was awesome. Oh, that's, that's, Really cool. What a, uh, and now your name's going to go on the wall of champions right there, right behind the first tee at Pebble. And, and, uh, hopefully you get another shot. Which I didn't even know about. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, you're you're learning about a lot of stuff. This is great. This is, uh, but you know, you can teach us a lot too because, you know, your victory in the Bahamas. I was doing some, I was doing a little reading. It, it didn't come easy, did it? You had an eight shot lead at one point, and got into a playoff, and you backed yourself into a playoff, and you you probably wanted to pull your hair out at that point because you were in a playoff and. And, mm-hmm. and then you regrouped and you found a way to win. Talk us through that day and start, though, if you would, with the story of getting the shuttle ride over in the morning, because that that was that was kind of serendipitous, wasn't it? And the guy who the name of the person who gave you the ride. That's pretty cool. I actually didn't think about that, Victor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I. I had felt through the first three rounds, like after three felt like this was my tournament and I had, I don't really get, I hadn't had that feeling too often in the past. I had that feeling in the U S open sectional qualifier last summer, where as I was going through, I'm like, I'm getting through this one. I know I am and still nervous as shit the whole time. And <laughs> Like I had to battle a lot of thoughts, unwanted thoughts in my head, try to set them aside. And so I was just trying to do some meditations in the morning and try to calm down and just get my mind focused on the day for round four. And we had set shuttle time schedules and I was like, I'll just, I'll go a half hour later. I'll catch the next one. But the shuttles, once you got past like 630 in the morning, started going every hour instead of every half an hour. And so I got there trying to get the 830 shuttle and the guy's like, nah, we don't have another shuttle to nine o'clock. And every, it's not like a, a tournament in the U S like everything costs money there, like nothing's free. And so every shuttle ride that's leaving, you know, the tournament, the tournament's paying for. And so he's like, I'm not eating cost to send an extra shuttle that's not covered for. So I was like, I'll pay. What is it? How much? And he was like hundred bucks. I pulled out my wallet, gave a hundred bucks cash. I'm like, let's go. I need to go now. <laughs> I mean, so. you're dialed in. I mean, your routines are so dialed in. You can't, I mean, you couldn't wait 30 extra minutes. I mean, you needed to be there no. right then and there. Yeah. I, had, I wanted to get there, have enough time for breakfast, have enough time to have to walk up to the gym do a stretch, get warmed up, walk down from the gym, walk to the range. Like there was a lot of time in between. I needed, needed that time. So I didn't even think twice, gave him the money, got the shuttle, got to the course. And, and it, was, it, was, it was a pretty nice investment, wasn't it? it? It worked out. Yeah. But I was flowing the whole right away, right from the beginning of the round. Same way I did round three. I had like five early birdies and just feeling confident as can be. But then on that back nine, it was just, I started getting tight, the the thoughts in my head of like, I started getting ahead of myself, like knowing I'm going to win. And I lost a little bit of that edge of like pushing for more birdies and pushing to get it tight and make the putts, you know, hit aggressive putts mm-hmm. still. And so, yeah, at one point I made a bogey on the 11th hole, which was a tough hole. And I asked my caddy at that point, I'm like, where am I at? And I had a seven, I think a seven shot lead and seven holes to play. Wow. And so I, he told me that and I was like, all right, 
no problem. I got this. But I still like couldn't get rid of that tight feeling. And I had like three really good opportunities for birdie around the 10 foot range, couple that were shorter than that uphill putts and left it short and you know, not nothing I'd been doing all week. So then I started feeling like anxious, like, ah, oh, shit, like I'm not making that. Now I'm just making pars and I'm like barely limping in. And I saw Cody making birdies and then even still got to 18, three shot lead. I'm like, all right, no problem. Hardest thing about 18 is the tee shot. It's like 25 mile an hour crosswind off my left shoulder. Yeah, the wind was really whipping starts, there too. I mean, yeah, so that, that would lead to some tightness. And you're right off the ocean at that point, 6, 17, 18, right on the ocean. So for me, it was, I was like, tee shot and play. It's par five. We're good. Got the tee shot and play. Hit a great tee shot. And I had like 280-ish to the, to the middle of the green. And there's a corner bunker to lay up past. And it's like 110 middle of the green from there. And I had in my, my game plan to get past that bunker. That's what I wanted. I wanted a short wedge in. And in hindsight, smart thing to do would have been to lay up short of that bunker, just the fairway wide, and I would have been laying up with like a six iron or something, seven iron. Instead, I'm trying to hit a 210 shot, 220 shot, like a low draw to hold the the crosswind and the rain. And I was on a cut lie in the fairway, which doesn't help. <laughs> and it was the first time my caddy was in that position too, so he's not talking me out of it and trying to get me to lay up short. So I grabbed my seven wood and go to hit like a knockdown low draw, and I hit it off the heel and kind of wipe it, and this thing just slices like forty yards into the right hazard. Oh my goodness! So now I'm now I'm like trying not to freak out, but I'm like, what did you just do? And you're leading and by I'm how trying- many at this point? Lead him by, I think, three, mm-hmm. but I find out later he makes birdie on the green. Okay. So, so it drops it, it two. to two. Okay. So now I'm running the math in my head. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to drop, hit it on the green, two putt, bogey still wins. And then the wind just starts whipping. The rain picks up and it's coming into and cross instead of just straight cross. And I've got one, the drop was in the fairway after I dropped in the hazard. I've got 137 and I'm like little, like a low nine, hard nine, but keep it low. Hit like a 120 shot, two putt, we're good. And the rain starts coming so hard, I think it it's like picking up with the wind too. And I go back to my caddy to grab an eight. And he was hesitant, but he let me hit the eight. And I nuke it and airmail the green into the hazard long. Because eight was just way too much. Oh no! So then, yeah, yeah, and then, uh, then I had to get up and down for double to go into the playoff. But luckily, it was all fairway to the hazard. So I, when I dropped, I could putt. It was like fifteen feet of fairway, and then the green, or Got something it. like that. Got it. Maybe twenty twenty feet of fairway, and then the green, and it was still raining, like. Pumping rain hadn't rained the whole round. It was just pumping rain on this last hole. Two putt this thing in under under these trying conditions. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I just, I was like, no way I was chipping, grab putter <laughs> and put it up to about four feet and then had to make the four footer in the rain. And I just tried to tell myself the whole time that all this stuff that was happening to me on 18 and the, and the wind and the rain and the adversity that I had basically been putting on myself by putting these balls in the hazard said myself is not happening to me. It's happening for me. There's going to be something I'm going to learn from this, something that is going to make me better. It's kind of the mindset I've been trying to take every time I haven't won or accomplished what I've wanted. And so I kept saying that to myself and it kept me in a positive frame of mind. So I made the putt. Nice. And then, um, you know, signing the scorecard, my playing partner was like, listen, no matter what happens, it's a great week for you. You've had a great week. Even, you know, no matter what happens. And I had, so that was encouraging. And then I had two rules officials before I went and teed off. Kind of gave me a little, you know, bump on the shoulder and be like, come on, Ben. And so I felt like people were rooting for me. Nice. And when we went back for the playoff, there was like this awesome double rainbow falling into the ocean. It was still kind of raining. And so I tried to keep that positive attitude of like, you know, this is all amazing this is fantastic great atmosphere like yeah. you know it's there's something good that's going to come out of me just shitting on myself on the 18th hole in regulation and <laughs> i wasn't going to make those same mistakes on the layup so long story short we both get our tee shots in play i'd grab a five iron this time instead of my seven wood mm-hmm. and it held the wind better but still drifted toward the hazard and i got a fortunate bounce on the edge of the hazard to keep it in play on the layup and he laid up after me and wiped his in right into the hazard the same way i did and then i was first to hit i hit it up on the green he's second to hit after his drop and he airmails the green same way i did into the hazard over the green so you're you just know it by that point it's it's over and you make par and he makes double or whatever and, and he almost it. chipped in for bogey oh, after wow. he dropped it was <laughs> like this close but after that i knew i had yeah you know, two putts to win from five feet so wow what a what a what a moment what a feeling what a what a perspective really i think you know our, our golf society is made up of all single digit handicaps and there's plenty of people who listen to this podcast that you know they may be outside of that range but you know, that lesson that you just taught us right there, I think is something that you you took this negative or what could have been a negative and you looked for things of why it was going to be a positive for you. And, you know, maybe maybe w- would you say that's something that you've done more recently or or is this, you know, is this a, been a mindset for you a, a lot of times? I've. Definitely more recently, but it's a mindset I've had to adapt over the years because of how far behind I was skill level from the get-go when I was 16 years old. So I've always had to try to take the disappointment, disappointing tournaments or the, you know, the scores that qualifying scores that didn't make it and say, listen, this is not a bad thing. You know, as long as we can learn from it, as long as there's a way to get better from this, we're going to keep moving forward because of my passion for just wanting to compete on the PGA tour. So 
you know, but I have, I've had to work harder on the mental side of things more recently because I realized I'd you know, fallen off with it over the last year or so. Well, you, you definitely have uh, improved that. You know, for those of you who follow Ben on social media, you will see a, a guy who works out physically, uh, you know, relentlessly. You are, uh, you are a beast in the gym doing, you know, all sorts of, you know, strengthening exercises in all areas and not just your mind, but your body. It's, it takes the whole, the whole package to get out there and to win and to be successful in the, in the professional ranks and, and on the corn Ferry tour. And you've played for a few years on the PGA tour as well. And kind of off and on, and uh, you're now tied fourth on the corn Ferry tours points list after being um, a conditional player at the beginning of the year. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, no status. There's so many players who want to be you. And now you get out there and you're in the winner's circle. Now you're in every event you need to be in from here on out. And you kind of put yourself in a in a great position. Um, you know, what what sort of mindset do you feel like, OK, I, I want to have this going for the rest of the year. And this is this is where I want. So now I can finally do what I've wanted to do over the last couple of years, which is not let the golf schedule dictate my life. And what I've done in the past was, oh, I don't have enough points. I need to play because I need more points to get more status. And then I'm just following the, it's like I'm a robot following the golf schedule because I have to, I have to. And I realized I hated that feeling. I love being at home with my wife and kids. I love being able to go train in the gym with my trainer, go see my coach, put in practice days where I grind on specific areas of the game for hours and go play a few holes, then go home. And I've realized how important those types of weeks are to me. So now for the first time in my career, I've been able to, my wife and I sat down uh, yesterday or two days ago, went through the entire schedule and just kind of made our schedule. Like we're going to do two weeks on here, week off here, three weeks on here, two weeks off. And I've never been able to do that. And it just feels so liberating. So like freeing that I can kind of create my own life, my own schedule around the golf schedule and not be, you know, just like a victim to the schedule because I have to play this or I have to play that. So well, uh, yeah, well, well earned, well deserved. Uh, I, I have to tell our listeners the first time we ever played and we ever met was up in New York when I was a head pro at a club called Paramount Country Club. And you called me up. You said your your girlfriend or your fiance was living in the area at, at the time. I think that was before children and uh, and you were before getting before you were married, I believe. Um and and anyway, so you called me up and you said, "Hey, I'm in the area. Yep. I want to I want to play." So and and so we went out and played, and and you hit two flag sticks that day. And I'm thinking to myself, "Okay," and he's and he, you read the greens perfectly on Tillinghast greens that were really difficult to read. I'm like, this guy's got something different that that other guys don't have. He's not just a guy trying to make it. He's gonna make it. And and I always believed that. Um, and you know, you're 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 right on the cusp of getting back on the big tour uh, and doing what you want. And, you know, maybe it'll happen. You'll get your three victories out here and, yeah, and the corn ferry, and then you'll work your way, 
onto the big tour sooner than you even think. You never know. But um, but I just had to share that story because there's not too many people I've played with that have hit two flag sticks in a day and hit it just straight as a string as you. But uh, before we go, and I know you got to run, I appreciate your time so much. Um, I think you, you got a little perk from winning down in the Bahamas, didn't you? Uh, a guy named Darren Clark, who's the great ambassador, the great major champion that Darren Clark is. Uh, he gave you a little something after you won. What was that? Honorary lifetime membership to the Abaco Club, which <laughs> I had no idea was going to happen. And tournament guys printed out the plaque with the with my name on it with nine holes to go in the tournament, which I didn't have no idea. So they were going to what I was going to be but, you know, that was cool. It was my first time meeting Darren, and I had no idea about that award for the, the membership there at the club. Definitely going to use it for family vacations. It, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I I love those the years of us playing together back in New City, man. That was so much fun for me. Like, as much as you were teaching and, you know, having to hold down the fort at the golf course, uh, you were such a competitor when we got on the course and I love that. So when we would go out for our rounds, I knew we were going to grind and I was going to battle and have to play well. That's probably <laughs> what forced me to hit two pins and shoot 60, whatever that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love those rounds with you out there. That was a lot of fun. Well, good stuff. So, so last, last thing I want to ask you. So our, our members are, they're all good players. Um, what sort of, what are a couple whether it's a putting drill or a full swing drill, what are what are one or two things that you always do that you could help share with our great players and to help them better understand their game? Let's say they only have an hour a day to work on their game or an yeah. hour, you know, every other day. Like what are what's something that you have to do to keep your game on track? Well, like today, I had taken about five days off after I got home from these tournaments and the first thing I did when I got back to the course was set up my uh, four foot drills around around the hole on the putting green and for me I love putting and so I go to it right away but that's like you know setting up six tees around the hole four mm-hmm. feet five feet six feet doing that for 20 30 minutes that's one of my go-tos always and and chipping too it was like Full swing's going to come back sooner than both of those two, I, I think. Hmm. And so chipping and putting was the first two things I did today. And I have a little ring that my coach gave me. It's like a two-foot circle ring. Mm-hmm. And I put it down on the green. And I started short, like a five-yard chip. And just hit chips, land them in the ring, land them in the ring, land them in the ring. And just get the feel of hitting my landing spots so that when I'm on the course and I see a chip and I'm visualizing how it's going to land and roll out, I have the ability to hit my land spot. So love, love that. Yeah. Those are like little go to little go to's. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, where are we going to see you next? What What's your next event? So I got fingers crossed for a sponsor invite to the Honda classic next week. There's still oh. possibility. There's still two two open spots heading into this weekend, and I might get a last minute one. So fingers crossed there. Great. Um, and I'll do a couple Monday qualifiers in the swing here, but the next Corn Ferry event is Savannah, March 23rd. Okay, all right. And so I'll be little... I'm signed up for that. 
Great. So you got a little time. Will you go to the Monday qualifier for the Honda if you don't happen to get a sponsor invite? Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. I mean, I live 15 minutes away, so yeah, it's perfect. like my hometown event. <laughs> Love it. Well, yeah. I'm doing some PGA Tour live for that uh, next week, so I, I hope to see you and cover you. And uh, Ben Silverman, really appreciate you being on the Silver Club podcast today, and best of luck to you. You know, we're just pulling for you all the way, and go Canada. All right. Thanks, Steve. Good to see you, man. All right. All right. We really appreciate Ben taking time out of his day to join us on the Silver Club Podcast. And thank you, all of our listeners, for joining and downloading and subscribing to all of our previous 63 episodes. We do what we can to bring you the people who are connected to the fabric of our game. Please help us spread the word and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to bringing you another Silver Club Podcast 